Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Lifting the Veil podcast with your host, myself, Adrian Lopez, the Integrative Healing Coach. Now, today and for the past couple of weeks, there has been a theme coming up, uh, not only individually for me, but also uh, out in the world. And um, so when when something keeps showing up in my in my line of my field of vision, um, I know it's probably something that's showing up. Sorry for a reason, and that there's some there's some words to be shared about it, some reflections. Um, I haven't already, I, I, I've always known this about myself, uh, but I haven't articulated it out loud. Maybe to a few people, if that. So I'm gonna share it with you here today. One of my superpowers is um, transmuting energy. negative thought patterns um, of the ego that show up in uh, habitual behaviors, unconsciousness, um, any behavior that's, let's put it this way, any behavior that's based on separation from self, like one's own power. And I'm mentioning this because um, this is the topic that I'm going to be talking about this week and specifically um, through this idea as Paluta, the destroyer, the regenerator um, that has these long um, holding patterns because it's the farthest out of all the planets. So it takes two, about 248 years to make a full visit to all the 12 houses. So it's re just entering back into Aquarius after 248 years. So if you do uh, rewind, rewind, Rewind. It sounds so funny. Um, back to 248 years ago, approximately, we were uh, moving into the American Revolution out of the Enlightenment, the French Revolution. Like, the, like these are age-defining movements, and we are now um, in one because the uh, house of Aquarius, the 11th house, is we, the people. And that's the house in which Pluto was in when America was first defined and created through legal documents, the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights. We, the people. And so um, there's these big macro topics 
And then they funnel down into more granular everyday expressions of the micro of our daily lives. And when we look at this topic, um, really, we the people, legally, that document wasn't, it was defining who a person was legally. And in regards to the United States, it was very specific who was defined legally as a person. It was a white male landowner. They were the, the only people who had legal rights that were protected through these documents. And I'm not, you know, saying anything negative about that. It's just is what it is. That's what was available at the time. But now we uh, have gotten, uh, hopefully, more mature, more refined. Uh, women gained their rights to vote in the beginning of um, the 1900s. And African Americans um, got their right to vote through the Civil Rights Movement in the 1960s, which really wasn't that long ago when you really think about it. So why I'm mentioning all this is because it's reflective. Like how does that show up in our individual lives? And down to the most intimate places of individual interaction, how we define intimacy, self-intimacy, into me I see, and then how that's reflected to other, for example, in a family or a partnership. And then how that is ripples out into our communities and then finally our country and then the world. And this is the topic um, that has caused a lot of confusion. We, um, it's shown up in regards to boundaries in the Me Too movement. There's a lot of people have opinions about the Me Too, Me Too movement, and I'm not necessarily going to give my opinion about that. But I just want to say it is a symptom of something deeper, something less available to our awareness. And so for me, this came down to um, power, those in power, those that have power. And there's many different modes of power, but it's our whole model of power in our culture, which is power over versus power with. And it's a whole mindset. It's a whole internalized construction of hierarch hierarchical power and how that relates to consent and the will of the people, starting with the individual will and then how those wills join together in the collective, whether they make a uh, family or a community, a nation, 
And the uh, way that the model of power that we've had in place for many, many, I don't know how long, eons maybe, has stepped over to some degree the conscious conversation of consent. And so earlier today, um, I came upon a talk about um, kind of by accident. I didn't, I didn't mean to, to hear it, but it came up in my um, feed today. And I ended up hearing a, a little snippet. This woman reporter, I think she was a reporter. She could have been just a guest in an audience asking a question about having clear boundaries and the Me Too movement. And um, the man that was answering the question was talking about um, birth control and the advent of birth control and how groundbreaking this was in, in the 1960s and like the hit, whole history of humanity had never had access to birth control, like what became available when the medical uh, pill was developed. And I don't know if that's true. I, I really don't know if that's true. I think there was a lot of birth control, like people that studied nature and was aware of the cycles. Not everyone was educated about that. But I think that um, anyone that studies nature doesn't have to have a, a pill to negotiate child um, pregnancy or childbirth. I don't know. Um, but anyhow, his point was that it freed up, you know, there was this whole like experimental stage of promiscuousness in people because that fear of pregnancy had been lifted at a new level that had never been lifted before. And he was talking about how it damaged the family and the children and how the Me Too movement was a reaction to this sex without real intimacy or real social structure. Like trying to extract the physical act of sex outside of um, relationship and intimacy. So um, that was just kind of a little summary of what he shared about. And, um, you know, it's very interesting Um, different perspectives because as a woman I'm, and a, a person who suffered from sexual abuse as a child, um, I don't necessarily think that the Me Too movement was a reaction to um, promiscuousness and sex being pulled out of intimate partnership. When you look at the st statistics of sexual abuse of children, it's 
mind blowing. And I don't even know if those st statistics are correct because so many people don't report sexual abuse. So many people are confused about what sexual abuse is. So many of the people who have been the recipients feel responsible as children. And so it's much, for me, it's a much deeper topic. It's about the unconscious, unarticulated structures of power that keep the status quo, and they also are reproduced through internalization. So um, these power structures actually require people to participate in them to where we become perhaps participants in our own victimization over and over again. Uh, because once the nervous system starts to record an imbalance of power, it becomes a internalized structure of self, how we see ourselves or how we're allowed to see ourselves. That's why I was so fascinated um, by philosophy, Western philosophy, and specifically the construction of self. Um, there's many instances of this in literature. Um, one that's coming to my mind right now is um, Toni Morrison's Bluest Eyes, her book. Um, and I'm not going to summarize the whole book here, but its title is based on the idea that uh, beauty or even how we see the world has been determined by a Caucasian or a blue eye. And, we, and it's become naturalized to, to see the world in a particular perspective because all of our society is actually built and structured on that. And so, um, France Fanon, I believe that's his name, wrote a book, um, Black Faces, White Masks, talking about how um, difficult it is for Black people. I have a a gray hair um, that black people are never seen for who they are they're always seen in contrast to not being white anyhow he wrote a whole um, wrote a lot on that and if you haven't experienced being in the house of the other for example everything that's not to find his personhood in this country, for example, in the United States of America, that's where I live. Um, white male landowner, for example, then your other. 
and that our whole power structure depends on other without acknowledging it. That there are only people with power because there's people with that don't have power, for example. And this has this this infiltrates all of our relationships, including our relationship with ourselves. So, the internal self um, disconnect. So, for example. Uh, a child who's growing up in a family with a very particular perspective about right, wrong, good, and bad, like all families, must, to a great deal, subscribe to their family's views of reality, whether they are in alignment with that soul's perspective or not, um, and become somewhat muted their will. So, for example, um, I, being a very outspoken person in my life, wasn't always that way. I had to selectively mute my speaking unconsciously. I wasn't even aware I was doing it because I didn't know. I didn't know who I was yet as a young person growing up in a family who had certain restrictions on what was allowed to be said, what was allowed to be acknowledged, what was allowed to be seen, what was allowed to be felt and shared in the public or um, familial space, which is private expression of the public. And that all of my family's views and expressions had been a result of the same system. So in that way we become, and this is a new idea, self-policing, where one must succumb to the normalized values of that time you're growing up in um, in order to survive, in order to belong, in order to be part of a family. And so this idea of consent is largely unassumed. It's like never um, are we verbally asked for our consent. And so it's gone to a, an incredible um, pinnacle out in the public stage in the Me Too movement where people saying, oh my gosh, we've gone to an extreme where I have to ask someone if I can even kiss them or if I can even dance with them. Like, dude, just because a whole history of mankind has been largely assumed about who gets to touch who, who has to ask for permission is there even asking for permission? Has there ever been an asking for permission? I know nobody asked me when I was molested 
if I wanted that. It was taken through a unequal relationship of power. So when one is in a position of my safety, psychological, emotional, physical safety is being threatened, I can't ever authentically give my consent without threat. And it's that unspoken peace that I think is gone unacknowledged that victims of violence and domestic violence and physical violence and rape has largely been women. And at the same time, not only have women suffered, but the perpetrators have suffered because they have had their relationship to consent removed. And when you don't even realize that consent is an issue, you're being robbed of true relationship, of true respect, of true connection, of true relatedness, of inter related intimacy that has not largely been allowed to exist. That means there's been a split, not only internally, but a split in how we react to people and a split in our versions of reality. Um, so I looked up the word consent because I find etymology so interesting. When you look at the history of a word, it tells you so much about the true roots of the meaning. So the word consent means to agree, to give, to yield, when one has the right power or will to oppose. And that's the key phrase, when one has the right. You know, uh, for me as a child and many children don't have the right to oppose their parent and not in a malicious way, but in, in a safe way, like that goes against my physical, emotional, and psychological sense of safety. So no, thank you. And that that's even an issue that has affected generation generation after one and then another, mostly because people were so consumed with just having to survive. It also means to agree, to be in accord, literally feel together. And I think that that's probably the most accurate definition for me of consent is to feel together. And when we live 
in a world where feelings are dismissed, devalued, feminized, rejected, over analytical, psychological assessment as a primary distinction of what's real, we lose a whole entire level of our humanity, which is related to our individual will and the right to be in full possession of our own will, regardless of outside threat or coercion or manipulation uh, in such a way that we, and I'm speaking as a woman because that's the only place I can speak from, that there's an unspoken danger when one disagrees with someone in power, whether that's a parent, whether that's a societal structure of masculine being dominant over the feminine, whether that's a professional person with a degree, a doctor, a teacher, a lawyer, having outside authority over my well-being, my body, and that an acknowledgement that we have consented in many ways to giving up our power as part of this societal structure unconsciously. Most people never even talk about these things or acknowledge that they're an issue. But how can we, the people who were declared as having the rights through being the children of creation, to be masters of our own will in a system that didn't foster that or cultivate it. In fact, it actually did the opposite. So at this time in our evolution, as we are moving into this new era and witness the incredible psychological, emotional, physical harm that the lack of awareness around consent and how it's related to our personal will and freedom truly so that we are not complicit in our own self-exploitation through our internalized doctrines that we've inherited. We are getting an incredible opportunity at this time in history to not only individually heal this key factor to actually owning one's will, which is the ability to give one's authentic consent and that we cannot eradicate or diminish the level of the 
victim-perpetrator dichotomy that, for example, the whole Me Too movement represented in a incredibly um, painful way. There wasn't anyone. There's no one that's touched by this that this is not deeply damaged. Whether it's a perpetrator or a victim, the price may look different. But if I am, for example, a perpetrator and I am acting in a way that allows me to abuse my power knowingly or unknowingly, that I lose who I am because I don't know who you are. Because if I knew who you truly were, I would never be able to act contrary to your consent or your, or your will. Because if I truly knew who I was, I would be able to feel my humanity. I would be able to feel together with you your humanity. So in this way, this is not an issue of victim-perpetrator, although that is the symptom. For me, it is a product of the inability to fully know our own humanity that is perpetuated by this system of power. And until we bring in all the ingredients, all the layers of our humanity, we will never truly be in possession of our individual will, if it's under threat. And we will never know freedom. And if I don't know it, then you don't get to know it. Because there is only one consciousness, one experience. But there's still, for many people, this idea that we are independent, individualized automatons and that what we do doesn't affect everyone all the time. And that if we are abusing our power, we are affecting not only the quality of our life and who we get to be, but all the people that we're affecting. And so, well, it's extremely personal. It's not personal at all. It's interpersonal. And this isn't new. But it just seems that our consciousness is ripe for beginning to be able to see it without all the blaming and the shaming. Not to say that People should not have consequences for their behavior. This is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the behavior is a product of a system that is inherently dehumanizing for everyone. And until we address the vast inequality, largely based on material, 
dominance and economic imbalance at an incredible who has words for it right that what is it one percent of the population owns 90 percent of the assets in this world and so how does that happen when people don't have consent or truly own their will, of course it's going to happen because it was designed that way. And so now, because we are the designers and we are the creators of our experience and we, as part of this awakening process that's happening right now, we get to step into the fullness of our power, no longer participating in a victim consciousness or a perpetrator consciousness, because we no longer have the luxury, not that we ever did have the luxury to do that, but we just were in a learning curve. And some people call this patriarchy. It doesn't matter what you call it, really. It damages all participants. A lot of times people want to reduce this to gender. But those are the details. Those people who've had dominance haven't been able to own their full humanity. <laughs> and the people who have not been able to own their full humanity because they've been being dominated are like the opposite reflection. Like it's just one reflection of our relationship to power and we constructed it, whether it was conscious or not. So we have the power, it's our power, to decide what we want to create next. It's up to us. And for me, this starts in my own home by taking responsibility for my own power and refusing to participate in dysfunction, codependent, addictive um, power dramas. Because if I do not feel empowered, then I have to go get it from you. And that's really what our whole society is based on. Disconnect each individual from their own power and then they always have to continually go outside for it. And if they don't get it, there's going to be drama. But what would happen? I'm just saying, what would happen if people realized that that was just a construction and that we actually all have incredible access to our own power internally? And that when we shift our constructed, conditioned view of the self, we find out that this illusion that we've been given has been incredibly disempowering, reducing um, happiness and fulfillment down to financial um, gain and possessions. Uh, and while that might make life a lot more pleasant, it doesn't necessarily ensure happiness at a soul level 
the type that vibrates your entire soul and is shareable like with other people it's the vibrancy and vitality of life that for example the diet industry <laughs> in america multi probably billions like people spending money on trying to eat right like how disconnected have we had become to where we don't we can't even listen to our own bodies because there's so much outside noise distraction 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 and so we get to choose for ourselves what it means to be we the people and will we continue to give our consent to models that can't deliver on the promises of what they had set up? For example, the American dream. And it's been just a dream for many people. If you really start to stop and take a look around at the levels of poverty and illness and alcohol and drug addiction, not to mention all the other types of addiction that people have succumbed to because when the self is distorted in such a way that my only sense of safety and fulfillment is through outside things, people and situations. I don't own my will. I'm a sellout. I've sold it. And not that this is intentional for anyone. We were all born into the system. But that doesn't mean that we don't get to wake up and uh, that we don't get to start becoming active, conscious participants, aware of where we're giving our consent, whether that's at an intimate level. I don't know about you, but my parents never set me down and told me that I had the power to consent who touched my body and who didn't touch my body. It wasn't even a topic of conversation. And I am not alone. I am not alone. I know that. And so this is an incredible opportunity for us to all come back online in a way that perhaps never has, has existed before on this planet. And so that's what I wanted to share with you. That that's what's really been coming up. Um, because I have found that regardless of the suffering or the wounding people are going through, 
it all comes back to an inability to recognize one's own will, the power of one's own word to consent, and what even <laughs> that means and what it looks like really at a fundamental level. And so I don't mean to oversimplify this. I don't mean to reduce people's pain or their suffering. Um, but once you see it, you can't unsee it. At least that's been my experience. But as always, I'm always interested in hearing your experience. in how you have thought about consent and the power of your ability to give consent. I mean, really, it's like when you think about this whole pandemic and, you know, when people would go get their um, vaccinations, they had something called informed consent. And it really goes beyond that. You know, when you really think about what truly is informed consent and was that authentically what was happening? Or was it just a, uh, the look of consent, the form that said, I consent and what actually that means. And this isn't to um, in any way um, demean or devalue people's choices, whether they got vaccinated or not. It's just another lens into our culture in our relationship to our will and what it means to have consent truly. And you can see the incredible um, emotional responses that people had in reaction to on both sides, right? Whether they wanted to get vaccinated or whether people didn't want to get vaccinated and whether they had a right to acknowledge their own will. And then the other side saying, well, how selfish of you to make a choice about your body that could affect everyone else. with no true evidence. It was so filled with fear. So what role does, does this role of fear have into removing people's consent? If we're frightened enough, if we're threatened enough, then we have to give our consent, don't we? All of these topics are coming up for review on purpose. 
So we can decide. We can rewrite, reevaluate our current relationship to the contract. We, the people, our individual and collective will, and how that's related to giving our consent. So I'm going to leave it there for today. Kind of a somber topic for me. Um, very, um, very related to a sense of loss and grief on so many levels of my own personhood and the people around me. And just to overall awareness of a lack of um, reverence for life, for the honor of life, how often we get disconnected from that in our everyday grind, in our everyday conventional wisdom, like that's just the way it's always been. For example, um, I think I was having a conversation with someone in my family who said, women have always been abused. Why do you, it's just the way it is. It's the way, that's the way it's always going to be. And I was just so floored because I was like, oh, really? Well, I guess that's true if that's what you believe. Um, but we've seen lots of things change in this country over its existence. Things that perhaps we never thought would change. And we're hard won. But um, I guess we're the ones that say when and where. When and where. All right, my loves. Until next time. I hope you're having a great week. And I will stop by um, again next week with um, another exciting, thought-provoking topic. Um, love to hear your thoughts as always. Until next time, please remember what a valuable treasure you are. And I'll see you next week. Bye for now.